Today we're going to be uh, continuing our sermon series uh, looking at Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. And um, before we dig into this passage, there's a lot of verses, a lot of kind of complicated, complex stuff going on. A lot of Old Testament uh, allusions. Before we jump into it, I'm going to begin by showing you some pictures from a trip to Colorado that I took with some buddies from college. And I'm doing this not just to indulge myself, but also to kind of give you some imagery and uh, some framework to help us as we walk through this passage. So here, here's the four guys getting ready to start. Uh, Chuck is on the, with the orange hat. Tim's in front. John's on the left. And I'm in the, in the back there. And um, we, we met south of Fair Play, Colorado, uh, the Mosquito Range area. Four Creek, uh, Four Mile Creek area. And we found a campsite and, and just spent a lot of time camping and hiking and fishing and, and catching up with each other. Here's the view from the campsite. <laughs> it was beautiful. We we're surrounded by aspen trees. They're starting to turn. Mountains in the distance, moose in the valley, fish in the stream, all that stuff. Fantastic time. On our last day, we decided that we were going to hike a 14er, you know, a peak that, of course, is over 14,000 feet. And uh, two of the guys had never done this before, uh, Chuck and John. Um, we were a little bit concerned uh, about Chuck because he, he just wasn't sure about it. And uh, so we picked a pretty easy one. At least we thought it would be pretty easy. And we did our best, the three of us did our best, to kind of assure him and encourage him that everything was going to be okay. For instance, um, Tim is a doctor. And so we said, uh, Chuck, if something happens, he can do CPR or do field surgery on you. Uh, I'm a pastor. So we said, if something happens, Chuck, I can do spiritual counsel. Worst comes to worst, I can do the last rites. John's a lawyer, and so John said, if, if that happens, then I will sue those guys and your family will be taken care of. So, so we did our best to make, make, um, make Chuck feel comfortable um, with, our, with our hike. He's also wearing an orange hat. He kind of gives you some insight into his personality. Um, it was hunting season, and so he thought, just in case there are hunters at 14,000 feet, I'm going to have that hat on. So great guy, awesome guy. So we had a lot of fun. Um, so here we are getting ready to start. And we did not know, of course, that that day there was going to be 50, 60 mile an hour winds. So it was about 40 degrees and the wind was just howling pretty much the whole way up. In fact, at one point you could lean forward about 45 degree angles and you would not fall on your face. It was really pretty amazing to, to watch. A lot of fun, though. Made it kind of interesting. Now, for those of you who have climbed mountains before, you know that there's something called false summits. You know, false summits, what they are. It's when you're climbing along and you think you're at the top, but you're not. The, the, the true summit, the real summit, is farther up and higher up. And so here I am at our first false summit. You see that grin on my face? Maybe it's a grimace of pain. I'm not sure. Um, I'm excited because I think we're almost there. That's the destination. That was not the, the real summit. So we, that's the first one. Here we are at, uh, when we got to that place. And uh, the wind is really picking up here, so we ducked down for a second, <laughs> got something to eat and drink, dropped our packs, and began off the next picture. Here we are making our way up to the second false peak and a um, lot, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Gets really narrow and made it interesting with the wind. So I figured I'm not going to blow over. So we, we were OK. Uh, and then here is here we are at the top, 14,036 feet, something like that. So it was a lot of fun. It's incredible uh, time with my buddies. Um, and the reason I'm bringing those uh, these pictures for you can take the picture off now. We don't need to see that anymore. Yeah, thank you. All right. The reason I'm using this illustration to begin with is in our scripture today from Galatians three. It's pretty complex, but it helps us to break it down into this. There are three peaks. OK, three summits. And the first two are kind of false summits there. It's a beautiful place. It's a high place in scripture. Uh, it reveals us to us a lot of things about God, but it doesn't get us to the top, to the ultimate summit, to the final summit. 
to the, to the end in the high point of Scripture. And the three peaks are this. The first peak is going to deal with Abraham and God's promises to Abraham. Okay? The second peak is going to deal with, um, with Moses and the law that God gave to Moses. And the third peak, the Mount Everest of this text, is going to deal with Christ and the salvation we have and the hope we have through him. As we look at this, we're going to see how the first two summits help move us forward uh, and, and build on each other to lead us to Christ, to the high point. So let's start with the first peak first. OK, the first one, God's covenant uh, with Abraham. And the point of this is that God's promise to Abraham shows us the necessity uh, for faith of faith in our relationship with with God. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we've been as we've looked through Galatians, that Paul was writing this letter to a specific situation. And he's addressing an issue in the church. The issue in the church was there were some false teachers who were called Judaizers because they were teaching that in addition to faith in Christ, that you had to adopt certain uh, Jewish. That's why they call Judaizers certain Jewish customs and regulations. For instance, the main was if you if you were a Gentile man and you came to faith in Christ, you had to be circumcised. Also, you had to observe certain dietary rules and laws and so on and so forth. So they're saying that 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 Christ plus doing these things is what's in, required to be saved. And Paul in this letter, and it begins in first in the first chapter and second chapter says, no, that's wrong. It's false. You don't have to add anything to what Christ has done for you on the cross. You don't need to do certain Jewish things. You don't need to add certain cultural requirements. You don't have to jump through spiritual hoops. Salvation is through Christ alone. Nothing else needs to be added. And so what Paul does is he goes back to Abraham to refute their point. And he says, "Okay, you guys want to talk about circumcision. You think it's so important. Let's go back and see how this all started with Abraham. And let's see how he was how he was justified, how he was saved. Was it through circumcision or was it through something else? And so Paul goes back uh, and and in verse six, he says this, consider Abraham. And then he quotes a passage from Genesis, from Abraham's story. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. And then in verse eight, Paul says this, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance. Abraham, <coughs> excuse me, Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. And again, he's quoting from Genesis chapter 12, verse three here. So so Paul is using Abraham's life and story from the Old Testament to refute uh, the Judaizers and their their point that their case that it's salvation is through Christ plus doing other things. So let's go back to Abraham, Paul says, in essence, and let's see what 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 Genesis 12 and God's promise is. Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, <laughs> your people and your father's household and go to the land. I will show you. And he makes the promise. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who curse you. Or excuse me. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you. I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, it's interesting. Don't miss this. Abraham has nothing to do whatsoever to, des- he's to, to deserve this. For all we know, Abraham was a man who was just wandering through life, not seeking God. The promise is initiated completely and totally by God. So here's the first part of the covenant with Abraham that I want to highlight. By grace alone, God blesses uh, his people. By grace alone, God blesses his people. It's not Abraham going to make a deal with God. It's God coming to Abraham, making a covenant 
with Abraham. It's all God's grace. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So by grace alone, God blesses his people. And that grace is then expressed in a radical promise from God to Abraham. And in turn to, to all people who will come after who will believe in Christ. God says to Abraham this in Genesis 12. You're going to have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. You're going to, through you and your faith in me, I'm going to bless millions of people in the future. Which is pretty absurd if you think about it, because at that point, Abraham and Sarah were in their 90s and they didn't have any children. And yet Abraham believed, he had faith, and God blesses them with a son. That leads us to the second part of God's covenant with Abraham. Through faith alone, God's people receive his, his blessing. Abraham received the blessing of God. He believed what he heard. He believed in God. And God credited to him as righteousness. Now you might ask, what's, what's righteousness? Well, righteousness is a state of being right with God. It's, it's being justified before God. It's having perfect standing before a perfect God. That's what was given to Abraham because of his faith in God. And that's what is given to us when we put our faith in Christ alone. A little bit later uh, in Galatians 3, Paul quotes again another passage from the Old Testament, this time from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. We don't talk about Habakkuk very often, but there's a great verse in chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. That's the, that's the verse that turned Martin Luther's life upside down. Remember Martin Luther, 1500s, great reformer, started the Protestant Reformation. Uh, Martin Luther was a, was, a, was a priest who was trying to, to, to follow God as best as he could, but he didn't have peace. He didn't have security in his life. He felt guilty and condemned and helpless to do the things he wanted to do and helpless to stop the things that he didn't want to do. And so he did what a lot of the people of the day did. He went to Rome. And there was a church there that um, that the church, Big C, had said that if you climb the steps of this church and you pay money and you kiss the steps, each step and kneel and kiss each step and you pray along the way that when you get to the top, voila, your sins will be forgiven. And in fact, the church said you can do that for somebody else and their sins will be forgiven, too. And so Luther went to this church and he started to do this and he's climbing the steps and he's kissing the steps and he's praying, hoping that when he gets to the top, he'll feel some freedom and some release and some peace. He's on his way up, and all of a sudden Habakkuk 2.4 pops into his mind. The just will live by faith. And Luther stopped what he's doing, went back to his home, and the Protestant Reformation was a result. The just will live by faith. By grace alone, God blesses his people. By faith alone, God's people receive his blessing. And this faith is then to be expressed in a radical obedience. Think about Abraham's life. What did he do when God justifies him through his faith? What does he do? He leaves his home area. He leaves his extended family behind. He leaves his possessions, his crops, everything. He leaves everything behind. He moves to a foreign land he's never been to, and he lives in a tent. He's trusting God to lead him every step of the way. Radical living by faith. So this is our, our first mountain peak. Abraham receiving the blessings of God. By grace alone, through faith alone. And that leads us to the second uh, peak or summit, Moses. God's covenant with Moses. 
And we need to throw out a key that is the truth that is key for us to grasp before we see this covenant with Moses. And what the Judaizers were saying was, okay, we see Abraham in faith. We see all that. But but then God gave us the law through Moses. And then that supersedes that that takes the place of the law. Paul says, no, it does not nullify what happened with Abraham. In fact, he says what God did with Moses helps us better understand what God had done with Abraham. The two complement each other. And ultimately, he says, they lead us to Christ. He says this in verse 19. What then was the purpose of the law? He answers his own question in verse 24. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. In other words, God's law was given to his people to show them the utter inability that we all have to completely, to completely and consistently obey God in our lives. And the result of that failure to completely obey God's law, Paul gives us the answer again in verse 10. All who rely on observing the law, in other words, all who trust in their obedience to the law to make themselves right before God, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. In other words, the law demands perfect obedience from us. That's what Jesus was referring to at the end of his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus ends up his Sermon on the Mount by saying this, Be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, Jesus is saying that's the standard, perfection. The law confronts us with the fact that we cannot obey it perfectly. Nobody in this room can. And so the law intensifies and exposes our sin, which sounds awful, but yet what it does is it brings us to the place where we realize our need for Christ where we realize our need for forgiveness and we, we surrender our lives to him. We repent and we find grace and we find and we find hope and we find peace and we find love. There's this picture in Galatians three where where Paul talks about how sin holds us prisoner before faith came. He says we were held prisoners by the law. And the picture that Paul is painting here is that, is that before, before Christ came, we were, we were chained to sin. We were not able to do the things we wanted to do. We were not able to stop the things we wanted to do. Our willpower was never good enough, strong enough. Our lives were never pure enough to make ourselves right before God. And we couldn't get out of that. And we couldn't get away from it. We couldn't get through it. And the harder we try, the worse it gets. And Paul says, when Christ comes into the picture, that all changes. Where before we were unrighteous, Christ is completely righteous. Where before we failed to keep the law, Christ completely and perfectly kept the law. He is right before God. He alone and Christ steps in and says, I'll take your place. I'll take your I'll take the curse upon me. I'll take condemnation for you. And so now we come to the third peak of Galatians three. God's covenant through Christ with us. It's a beautiful picture. The picture of, of, a, of a savior, of a, of a perfect man, God's son, who completely fulfills the law. In fact, in Romans 10, 4, it says Christ is the end of the law. In Matthew 5, Jesus says of himself, I have come to fulfill the law, to complete the law. And he does it so that we can be purchased back from sin, so we can be set free from sin. Verse 13 says Christ redeemed us. 
from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For us. Two beautiful words. For us, Christ became a curse. For us, Christ became our perfect sacrifice. For us, for us, Christ's blood was shed so we could be cleansed. For us, Christ fulfilled the law. And because of that, we are redeemed. We are purchased back from slavery. We are purchased to be set free, to live our lives for Christ, to walk in freedom and, and in radical obedience, to live our lives completely for him, relying upon him, helping, uh, letting him help us to become the people he's called us to be. We are saved through grace alone. We're saved through faith alone when we put our trust in him and when we rely upon him. And it's wonderful news for us. It's beautiful news. It's the summit. It's the pinnacle of scripture that Christ so loved us that he gave his life that we should not perish, but have every, but have eternal life when we put our trust and faith in him. It's all done through his motivation of love, all offered through his mercy all a result of his grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and we thank you that he is the the high point, the pinnacle, uh, the summit of Scripture. (laughs) Everything has come before him, the Old Testament laws and rules, the promises to Abraham, the law given to Moses, all those things were sent to bring us to the place where we would see Jesus and see that he alone is what's required, that he alone is worthy and sufficient. So, Lord, help us to be people who, who walk in humility before you, people who walk in faith before you and with you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to, to die to ourselves and let Christ live within us and through us. Help us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who gave his life for us. We thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus. And we offer ourselves to you, thanking you for the fact that we can be set free through what Christ has done for us. Amen.